morning, everybody. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Yudai. I am this year's intern at Oak Church. And uh, it is my uh, very deep pleasure uh, to be able to invite you all uh, this morning to reflect on the life of um, someone who actually I just started to get to learn about. Um, uh, he is a Catholic radiologist by the name of Takashi Nagai, or as we say in Japanese, Nagai Takashi. And he is a survivor um, of the atomic bomb that was dropped over Nagasaki at the end of World War II. And um, I am very humbled today to even you know, uh, be able to say to you that I have a word from the Lord to speak to you. So uh, yeah, so um, before we get into um, the life of uh, Dr. Nagai, I'd like to introduce us uh, to our scripture verse today, which is John 16, 32, uh, up to John, uh, to the beginning of John 17. And uh, so, Calvin, would you, would you read the verse for us today? Sure. The hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each one to his home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have said this to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. After... Did I say that again? Yeah, I think I said that. No, I didn't. Sorry, guys. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father... Glorify me in your own presence and the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. Uh, can everybody see? Someone give me a nod or something. <laughs> okay, thanks. Okay, so um, today we're going to delve a little bit into um, the life of a person uh, and the, a topic which you may or may not have heard about. Um, not someone who's discussed on a regular basis, I don't think. Uh, it harkens back to um, obviously the time of World War II, which seems to be at this point a bit of a, I don't know, uh, maybe a dead horse uh, topic that seems kind of back then, right? Uh, it's something that we don't really talk about too much anymore, at least not in public discourse. And 
to be honest, even to me, talking about the atomic bomb seems a little, I don't know, maybe a little, a uh, little hackneyed, maybe a little bit, um, not too timely, perhaps. It's a, the Cold War has ended, right, after all. We don't think about nuclear holocaust all that, all that much anymore. And so, but maybe, but this is a chance, I think, to revisit a, pe a period of our common history that we've forgotten a little bit. And so, uh, the war. World War II, we have, I can't talk about uh, Dr. Nagai without really beginning with some kind of introduction about um, the war. And of course, in the Pacific, is a, all of you know, you've taken history classes probably, you've heard on um, in movies and all kinds of other media what this war was all about. So I won't belabor that point. I will just mention that the Pacific theater of the war, of the war began with Japan's rapacious imperial mission uh, in Asia so that they can become a legitimate imperial power, just like all those other real powers, right, out in the West. And millions, tens of millions of lives later, uh, the United States dropped two atomic bombs on Japan, one in Hiroshima and one in Nagasaki, and that ended the war. Uh, the, President Truman's decision to drop the atomic bombs on Japan is, in the words of the Jesuit scholar William Johnston, one of the most awesome decisions in world history. It is truly an unbelievable feat of human engineering, and it is by all means a devastating instrument that has been placed into uh, the hands of humanity. But one thing I want to note is that I think maybe Y'all have maybe seen Hiroshima in textbooks and maybe Nagasaki was mentioned in passing. I tend to think of Nagasaki as kind of the lesser known sister of the two. But the reason I think it's, this is important for us to consider as a church today is because Nagasaki, uh, the atomic bomb experience is ingrained with the memory of a community who cannot separate this event from their identity in Christ. And so Nagasaki is the atomic bomb that I guess we could say has a theology attached to it. And by introducing you and maybe exploring this uh, topic through the life of uh, Dr. Nagai with you today, my prayer is that this will give us some glimpse into the mysteries of God. And so let me introduce you a little bit to uh, the life of our main figure today, Dr. Nagai. Uh, Takashi Nagai was born in 1908, and uh, he, um, he knew he was going to be a doctor. He trained at Nagasaki Medical College. Um, and after graduating, he decided to become a radiologist. Now, radiation therapy had been studied quite a bit by this point. Um, radiation was becoming much better known uh, and much better understood. However, Dr. Nagai was constantly overworked and he was constantly exposed to X-ray radiation and gamma rays. Now, while he was at Nagasaki Medical College, he lodged with a Catholic family. He himself identified uh, at first as an atheist and a materialist. He lodged with a Catholic family named the Moriyamas. He meets their daughter, whose name is Midori, who's in this photograph here. 
And this daughter invites him to mass for the first time. And at this mass, he writes, he reflects about this mass later on and says, I felt instinctively there was a living presence in the community. In 1931, uh, there is a, an infamous in international incident called the Manchuria incident that escalated the conflict between China and Japan. And um, Dr. Nagai was drafted as a uh, military doctor and he was sent over to, to, and to care for both uh, Chinese and Japanese soldiers on the battlefront. During this whole time, uh, Midori wrote to him, sent him a Catholic catechism and prayed for him. In 1934, he returns to Japan. He's baptized and shortly after he and Midori are married. Now, Dr. Nagai goes on to do his work of uh, doing research and uh, radiation therapy at the medical college he graduated from. And the heavy exposure and the overwork um, really get to him by the time World War II um, uh, World War II is underway in earnest. And in by, not, by the time we get to 1945, the final year of the war, Nagai has already been diagnosed with leukemia because of the constant exposure uh, to radiation. And upon telling this to his wife, uh, he, re he recalls his wife telling him, whether in life or death, is it not all for the glory of God? Now, now that year, on Thursday, August 9th, at exactly 11.02 a.m., Nagai recalls that he was at work in the radium lab. He says, I saw a bright flash. And this, of course, is the bomb over Nagasaki. A US B-29 bomber called Boxcar drops a bomb that was, I don't know, I guess it was kind of cute that it was called Fat Man. <laughs> in, uh, in recognition of Winston Churchill, apparently, fun fact. This bomb was dropped over Nagasaki. Now, this is a map of uh, the city at the time. Now, I don't, this is, the writing is a little bit small, and I apologize for that. I don't know if you all can see. So at the very center is the hypocenter. That's where the bomb exploded. The closest thing to it is a prison. The second closest thing to it, it says, is Urakami Catholic Church. And this, I think, is part the central part. Well, I shouldn't say that. This is one of the central elements of the story of this bomb. Urakami is one of the oldest continuous Christian communities that exists in Japan. It started in the 16th century when Jesuit missionaries came from Portugal. In 1614, the Japanese government at the time explicitly prohibited Christianity and began the persecution of the church in earnest. The church was systematically and ruthlessly persecuted for over 250 years after that, and the church went underground. The Urakami Christian community managed to survive that entire time. And they were rediscovered in the late 19th century when French, when French Catholics came and built a church in Nagasaki. And in 1873, the prohibition on Christianity was formally revoked, and they were able to worship in the open again. 
The bomb over Nagasaki released 20, the equivalent of 21,000 tons of TNT in energy. At the end of the day, over 70,000 people were killed. Of these 70,000, 8,000 were Catholics. The hypocenter was right over the 10,000 strong community of Urakami. And Nagai, this is Nagai's testimony from his memory of that time. He writes, a bomb must have fallen at the very entrance to the university, I thought. I immediately tried to throw myself to the ground, but before I could do so, the glass of the window smashed in and a frightening blast of wind swept me off my feet into the air, my eyes wide open. Pieces of broken glass came in like leaves blown off a tree in a whirlwind. I felt that the end had come. The right side of my body was cut and gashed by the glass and warm blood flowed down my cheek and around my neck. I must have a large wound above my right eye and around my ear, I reflected, but I felt no pain. It was as though a huge invisible fist had gone wild and smashed everything in the room. The bed, the chairs, the bookcases, my steel helmet, my shoes, my clothes were thrown into the air, hurled around the room with a wild clattering noise and all piled on top of me as I lay helpless on the floor. Then a blast of dusty, dirty wind rushed in and filled my nostrils so that I could scarcely breathe. I kept my eye open, looking always at the window, and as I looked, everything outside grew dark. There was a noise like the sound of a stormy sea, and the air everywhere swirled round and round. My clothes, the zinc roof, pieces of wood, and all kinds of other objects were performing a macabre dance in that dark sky. Then it gradually became cold, it's at the end of autumn, and a strange and silent emptiness ensued. Clearly, this was no ordinary event. Now, before I go any further, I just want to mention that I will be reading from some um, graphic descriptions today. I just wanted to warn you all about that. I've tried not to put in any graphic visuals, um, not because I really intend to I think that helps um, protect people <laughs> from the images of the bomb, but uh, because I, th I don't think the sensationalism of showing such images is particularly appropriate for our time today. Do though, um, if you ever have a chance, uh, have a look at some of these images of the aftermath of the bomb. <clears throat> so in the aftermath, a nurse, who worked with Dr. Nagai reflects her response. Her, she noticed three main things. For the first thing she noticed was that just the entire scenery was gone. As you can see from these photographs here, um, her response was, where did everything go at first? The second thing she noticed were bodies, naked bodies strewn around in trees strewn around. The third thing she noticed was a red light, which is fire. A fire began to consume the city. And this is another description I'll read from Dr. Nagai's reflections. Already 20 minutes had elapsed since the explosion and Urakami had become a flaming landscape from the center of the hospital, flames were spreading through the whole campus. The only place free from fire 
was the hill on the east side of the hospital. Pumps, hoses, water tanks, energetic people, anything or anyone capable of quenching those flames had vanished in a moment. Only one possibility remained, to allow the flames to spread and spread. Um, I will advise you to maybe turn off a little bit if, um, if I, yeah, if you, if you feel that you may be sensitive to graphic descriptions. Now, even the survivors were penetrated by powerful radioactive rays. Their clothes were torn and many of them were completely naked. From downtown they ran, climbing the mountain with tottering steps in an effort to escape the flames. Two children passed by dragging their father. A young woman ran clutching a headless child. An aged couple, hand in hand, slowly climbed the mountain. As she ran, a girl's clothes burst into flames and she fell writhing in a ball of fire. On top of a roof that was enveloped in flames, I saw a man dancing and singing wildly. He was out of his mind. Some people kept looking back, looking back as they ran. Others did not even turn their heads. A girl was scolding her little sister who lagged behind, but the little one begged her to wait. And from, the from behind the flames, pressed on. About one in 10 people had the good fortune to survive. Now, amidst all of this, the, the university where Nagai worked had also become one big ball of fire. Nagai writes, he thought it was indeed the end at this point. 80% of the students and nurses had died. The total number of survivors was about 50. And these surviving doctors and nurses began treating the wounded. Nagai recalls a strange group of naked human beings crowded around us, all shouting. Nagai's predicament itself was not that great. He was, he was wounded as you probably heard from the description earlier. Um, his wife who was at home, um, she instantly turned to ashes. Uh, his two children, had actually been sent away to the countryside and they actually survived. 10 years of his research at the university uh, burned. And this was the point where, this was a cathartic moment in a strange way for the Dr. Nagai. He writes, I understandably felt despair as if I had been dropped into hell, but his despair did not even last half a day. I clung to a completely new hope. That new hope was the completely new disease that was before me, a disease for which we have been chosen as the first observers in medical history, atomic bomb sickness. I'll research this new disease. Once I had chosen to do so, a bright hope and courage filled my heart. Now, to those of us who aren't really in the sciences, this might sound really strange. <laughs> um, it does to me a little bit, actually. But for any of you who have read Viktor Frankl's Man's, Man's Search for Meaning, you'll know that he testifies to a similar experience when he was interned at the death camp at Auschwitz during World War II. He, he also says that his, part of his hope, the thing that kept him alive and on his feet, was the hope that, hey, this was a new phenomenon that I can study as a psychiatrist. And this is something I'm going to publish. And that's something I'm going to tell other people about once I get out of here. And if you read Dr. Nagai's writings, you'll recall animated conversation about 
you know, what, what happened to us? What's the mechanism of this bomb? What's all the past research into um, quantum mechanics and radiation that must have led up to the creation of this bomb? They all, they do this all in a dugout outside. Now, atomic bomb sickness, this is uh, sort of the main feature of the, of the immediate aftermath of the, of the bomb, which is due to gamma ray exposure causes dizziness, nausea, headache, vomiting, loss of energy. Uh, Dr. Nagai rather casually puts it that it was like the awful hangover one experiences after drinking all night at a year-end party. So maybe not a completely alien feeling, at least at first. And then thus began the relief effort in what Dr. Nagai calls the atomic wilderness. This involved caring for the sick, bringing them to shelter, cremating the dead, and quite importantly for him, making observations about the wounds and surmising about their causes. Medical College Relief Team travels, uh, they began traveling through the precincts, visiting the sick and treating their wounds. Now, Nagai and his team were not by any means in much better shape than the people they were actually taking care of. They, this is how they looked. Who would have guessed that we were a group of professors, associate professors, nurses, and students, members of the medical faculty of the university? Our heads were wrapped in bandages, and some of those bandages were stained with new blood. Some among us were limping along on wounded legs. Some were wounded in the chest and could scarcely breathe. Others were deathly pale from radioactive injuries. Yet others had lost their glasses and were groping and stumbling on their way. Some were leaning on sticks, Others were supporting themselves on the shoulder of a friend. Others, again, were receiving a helping hand. Some were wearing straw sandals. Some were wooden clogs. Some were tripping along in ill-fitting or ragged trousers. There were headbands, handkerchiefs, steel helmets. And we all covered our shoulders with green leaves to serve as camouflage against enemy planes. The team walked miles and miles each day across the mountains and valleys of the region, continuing to minister in the wilderness for two months. They developed therapies for the atomic sickness they observed. But then after two months, Nagai's own condition became critical. Remember, he began all this with leukemia. He had to stop making rounds. Reflecting on his work, Nagai writes later that a physician is no mechanic of the flesh. That physician had to suffer with the patient, not only in spirit, but also in all his flesh, resonating with the patient's pain in his own body. Now, at first glance, that may sound like a bit of a sentimental view of his profession, but given his experience, we can probably conclude that he meant that quite literally, because that is the very image of he and his team working to heal the sick, and yet carrying that same sickness inside of themselves. His search for truth, in other words, was in accepting the death that continued to work inside of him so that others had a chance to live. He writes that every act that he did as a doctor was a prayer. Every shot he administered, every x-ray he took was a prayer of benediction upon the sick. 
On November 23rd, Dr. Nagai was asked to deliver a funeral address, a funeral address for the 8,000 Catholics who died. In this speech, we see the cross of Christ made manifest in the fire of sacrifice that consumed Nagasaki. Yes, that is the metaphor he uses. He uses the metaphor of sacrifice, even though that may be somewhat uncomfortable to us today. He's, he makes it clear that the tragedy of Nagasaki is not some vague notion of tragedy, but it is the tragedy of a history of human sin. And But as you know, in the Christian story, beyond the cross is always Easter. And for Takashi Nagai, the creation, the new creation beyond the atomic bomb was the forging of a new peace. He refers to those who were left alive in his community as the remnants. If you remember from the Old Testament, the faithful remnant of Israel was God's sign that God had not abandoned his people. And allow me to read another part of this speech for you for you where he describes this mission. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We must walk this way of expiation faithfully and sincerely. And as we walk in hunger and thirst, ridiculed, penalized, scourged, pouring with sweat and covered with blood, let us remember how Jesus Christ carried his cross to the hill of Calvary he will give us courage. And recalling Job, he says, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let us give thanks that Nagasaki was chosen for the sacrifice. Let us give thanks that through this sacrifice, peace was given to the world and freedom of religion to Japan. May the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. Now, in the immediate aftermath of the bomb and the weeks following, there was a rumor that life would not be able to survive in Nagasaki for 75 years at least. Now, Dr. Nagai had a theoretical hunch that that probably wasn't true, but they lacked the instruments to actually make precise, um, to actually know precisely. After all, this was a completely new phenomenon in the history of humankind. So he decided to measure anyway, using the only means of observation that he had on hand. He decided to observe the plants and the animals. He observed that plants did grow, although there were some abnormalities in them. In three weeks, he noticed a swarm of ants. In a month, he noticed worms. After the worms, he noticed rats and insects. Dr. Nagai judged that if the radiation in the region was small enough, was low enough that small animals could survive, then so could human beings. He inspected people who had moved in immediately after the bomb. And he concluded that beyond the first two weeks of the atomic bomb, Nagasaki had actually become safe to live in. Authorities began to call in evacuees in the countryside to return to repopulate and rebuild the city. Now, if you remember this church, <clears throat> Urukami Cathedral had burned to the ground. The bells, of, the bell towers had fallen and their bells had fallen about 50 meters from the tower. Nagai and a few of his companions helped, uh, helped find them 
and dug them up. On Christmas night in 1945, after the war had ended, the bells of Nagasaki rang again. Dr. Nagai dies in 1951 of leukemia. What strikes me about the story of this man's life is his will to keep on living in the midst of desperate circumstances. But what strikes me even more though, is that what seems to be the basis of empire is this idea of survival of the fittest. And yet the rule of the world does not seem to be the survival of the fittest, but the stubborn persistence of God's grace. Now we may imagine that one person's will might be easily broken. There may have been a scenario in which Dr. Nagai's will was broken. He stopped helping people. He just gave up and maybe he would have died earlier. And yet, something tells me that God's will for us to have life and have it abundantly cannot be broken. Now we see our churches today, kind of a switching topic, I guess. We see our churches today, and I think a lot of times we notice the smallness of church life or the mundaneness of church life. I certainly have myself seen the pettiness that goes on within the church. And the fact that this somehow is the light of the world and the salt of the earth can seem laughable at times. We see signs that our democracy and our own livelihoods are extremely fragile in a time like this. And yet, if you remember, when Peter confessed to Jesus that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus' reply to him was that on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so we are built on this rock, my friends. So let us take courage. The Lord has conquered the world. Will you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life that you have granted to us today. And we thank you that you continue, even in the persistence of human sin, even in the midst of a world in which, a complex and confusing world in which we can't even tell who exactly is bad, who exactly is good. In a world where it's difficult to take sides, but we still have to take one sometimes. In a world in which we often find ourselves destroying one another, um, either intentionally or inadvertently. Even in that world, Lord, we, we thank you that you have continued to remember us and that you have continued to pour your grace and your love into us. We thank you that you have sustained your people from the time they, from, human, from the beginning of human memory, Lord. We thank you that you have sustained us. You have given us the means to survive. You have given the gospel a voice and feet with which to be the feet with which to travel from place to place, bridging time to time. Lord, grant us your peace today. I pray that we may have peace in our hearts, but we, I, I pray that this peace does not come cheaply. I pray, Lord, that through 
through the community that we see here today. I pray that your work may be known to us, that we may know that on some day, as you, Lord, bore your cross, that we may have to bear ours. And even though we may not know the meaning of that yet, we pray that you give us the strength of faith that we may endure to the end. We look forward to your coming, to your restoration of all things. We know that creation groans in yearning for the revelation of the sons of God. We thank you for your grace, for, your, for the sacrifice of your only son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, and for the hope of resurrection and new life. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.